Hi, hello, we're back with a new section of my Iron Flames reaction and read-through. This part is going to cover chapters 37 through 50. That's about 150-ish pages. So this is the start of part two of this book. We pretty much start off with the leadership in Tyrandor being like, well, what are we going to do with these cadets. We don't have the resources. We are not protected by the wards. We haven't been able to get them up yet. And Violet's like, oh shit, maybe I should have thought that through a little bit. I don't know if I necessarily disagree with this choice that she made right off the bat. I think maybe she was projecting a little bit coming off of all the issues she and Zayden had been facing in regards to all the secrets that he's been keeping from her since book one. But those kids would have been fighting a losing battle and they would have been slaughtered by at the end of the day and it was the right thing to do. Zayden obviously didn't have any major concerns about her doing that as the owner of the home and the property in which they were staying in. But yeah, I mean, she could have been a little bit more mindful of that execution. And I feel like I want to make this comment now. I feel like in a lot of these books with our female protagonists, my friend Sarah and I kind of talk about it specifically in regards to Outlander. I feel like this happens a lot, but it happens in pretty much any story with the strong-headed female protagonist when she is siloed from the action she is unable to participate the female character tends to do something to try to get involved or help out and it always makes it worse and causes more problems for the other characters and will lead to their deaths i'm seeing some small signs of this with violet with her poking around the archives, trying to find information, try to rebuild the wards, was kind of pushing it. And I'm not necessarily, as I said earlier, against her bringing the kids to Tyrandor, but I'm starting to see her almost verging into that, trying to make things 10 times harder just to feel like she can participate. I feel like another example of her doing that is her flying off to Corden with her siblings. That happens a couple chapters later. She's tired of being told no, so she takes it into her own hands and makes it worse. But Anyway, Zayden has her back no matter what, which we love. In the moment when she's realizing, oh, maybe I could have made this execution of bringing these students to Tyrandor better, she's also watching the ramifications of the choice to bring the students from Tyrandor, but she's also actually watching Zayden in his elements, surrounded by his people in his home as the owner of that property, and this is not a way she ever thought about him. Obviously, he's the duke of that city, and it's just kind of a sobering moment for her to realize who her partner is. And I think this is part of what her and Zayn talk about at the end of the section of her trying to reground herself in this new reality where she's seen as the traitor because of her mother and Zayn is the one in power and control and he knows who she is at her core and will vouch and trust her with everything he has while she's trying to unlearn all the history that she's been told that she learned is inaccurate. It's a big learning curve for her right now. And then to compound the guilt and her losing her footing and navigating this new unknown in this new world, she finally gets to talk to Anne Ardna. And the news from Taryn is devastating. I was so crushed. And I had a feeling it wasn't going to be great when they were moving her at the end of part one, but I'm so sad for Anne Ardna to not be able to have that full relationship with the writer moving forward. Not even just with Violet. I think it's really interesting and symbolic in regards to the way that Violet was viewed in book one, and it makes me, dare I say, <laughs> optimistic that maybe we will see Anne Ardna fly Violet, you know, because throughout this section she seems to be making progress that she's able to fly 
why. But yeah, it's just crushing for Violet because here's another thing that she fucked up on so soon after dragging all of those cadets to Tyrandor. And then, you know, they decide to continue their education and try to have some semblance of order. They're trying to do classes. They have their own version of battle briefs, talking about all the attacks happening. So I don't know if you would count it that I was technically right or wrong because I said that Violet was going to make it past her second year. And I feel like that's still correct because she's not at Bez Gaeth anymore. But I mean, I guess she's still learning. I still think I was right. So as they're trying to come up with a new routine, trying to get everybody organized, they think that they are being attacked by Navari riots. And who is it? But Mira. In a really interesting move from Mama Sorengale, she went around to all the outposts and told them the truth. This is what's happening. Our country is divided. You can either stay and fight with us or you can go and join the other team, but you have 24 hours to make your decision. And Mira decides to leave. Obviously, her dragon probably told her the truth, and I wonder how much of it was influenced by her possibly knowing that Violet was there. And then what makes this just all the better is that the three Sorengale siblings are truly reunited for the first time since Brennan's quote-unquote death. Of course, Mira punches him in the face. We do not blame her. It's 100% a valid reaction to someone that's lied to you for that long. But yeah, it was really lovely. I'm really glad to see them all together because I am sure one of them will be dead by the end of the series. So while she's not in classes, one of her first big projects is to start translating the journal that she was tortured for. And they get to a point where she pieces together something about like a blood oath, a blood promise, and Zayden has an idea on what that could possibly mean, how to wield that information. They're unfortunately unsuccessful. Here's another thing Violet is stressing about. She thought she'd get the wards up, she could protect everyone she brought there, and then they could keep learning, training, and fighting. And none of this is going the way that Violet had hoped. So Violet, out of desperation, kind of what I said earlier, she's like, let's humor this Viscount. Let's just meet with him. I don't have to agree to stay with him. He's not going to hold me captive. And he keeps going, no, no, no. And let me tell you, after reading this exchange and the siblings going off to Corden to meet with the Viscount without Zay what they thought was without Zayden. LOL, we should have known better, right? Or I should have. Maybe you guys knew already. But I feel like we're already starting to see the signs of Zayden's mental dexterity tipping a little bit. And Violet calls him out on it, that he's acting like Dane. He's being really possessive of Violet. And it's still very loving right now. And he's figuring out how to peel back because obviously in book one, when he was encouraging her, he wasn't in love with her. So I get that difference. But I think we're already seeing the signs of him go, going. I wrote full Targaryen, just like Game of Thrones. And I think it's already happening, which is like the worst part of it. I'm very, very nervous and I'm going to be mindful and observant of all of Zayden's actions moving forward because I really, really, really don't think it's going to go well for him. And it makes me think about like Sigail had to have known that she shouldn't be bonding with a direct familial line. So why did she do that? Why did she make that choice? I don't want anything to happen to him, but we're going to find out. So right before the siblings go to Corden, Violet has her first seems like legitimate training for her signet with Felix from the assembly, the group of people that run the Tyrandor evolution. And his technique is so different from what she was learning at school. Navarre was very much about quantity when Felix is actually helping her 
wrangle, control her power, and learn how to make it a versatile tool for the tiniest little action to the big lightning bolt that she's used to. That there's a range of what she can do and she's trying to discover all those facets and I really love watching her evolve with that. We see a little bit of it already, but not a ton. So once Violet and her siblings get to Corden, of course, surprise, surprise, Zayden's there because Taryn didn't want her going, so he tipped off Sigale. The mysterious ex that was brought up earlier is the Viscount's niece. So not only is that messy, but she also pieces together that there had to have been some type of connection to their alliance that had to do with Zayden and Kat, not just a romantic thing. And of course there was. There was supposed to be a betrothal and Zayden broke it. The Viscount definitely makes sure to tell Zayden how he feels about it. Violet's emotions are all over the place going into this dinner, this informal meeting about trade policy because Kat's ability is to heighten emotions. And Violet being stressed out, still working through everything that happened last year and all the changes this year is just milking her and all of her insecurities and anxieties and jealousies. It only gets worse. This girl is driving me crazy and I've got a lot to discuss about the whole Cat-Violet dynamic later once they're on the sparring ring. So the Viscount decides to set Violet up for failure as a big F you to Zayden, asks her to demonstrate her powers, and unleashes a venom on her. And Mira, who is powerless outside of the wards, which is very interesting. I think we're gonna learn more about Mira's ability, but she comes in with this badass move with Tam that he flies in and she sets all the dewy grass on fire as he swoops her up so she doesn't die. It was the coolest thing. But then also, because Zayden was so pissed at the Viscount for pulling that on him, he almost literally kills him in front of the niece. Both nieces. There's two of them, but the one is the ex. Which was scary that he's almost past the point of reason with anything to do with her. Not that I blame him. I don't think he's doing much for anybody. He's kind of sitting in his little palace, surrounded by rocks that have already been drained of their energy and power from the venom, and he's collecting the venom for research and holding them in said magicless pit. I don't know. It would have been satisfying. I wouldn't have been mad to see him die. But luckily, Zayden puts him in his place. Violet is happy to negotiate, and they come up with the agreement. In exchange for the luminary, Violet's not going to work with him, but Tyrandor is going to hand over weapons, and they're also going to take in the flyers because they no longer have a school, which becomes a logistical nightmare because we've heard multiple times throughout the first book and a little bit in this one that griffins cannot handle the higher altitudes, so they can't fly up those hills six successfully to Tyrandor, and they literally have to hike up a mountain while the dragons stand guard. They use this as their first bonding trading exercise to try to merge the groups because after centuries of misrepresented histories and the flyers losing people left and right to the riders because the riders were misinformed this whole time and the riders are trying to work through their bias, it's just going to be a mess. Probably until the 11th hour at this point. And for the most part, the walk is pretty anticlimactic, which is kind of nice. It's so weird. This first chunk of chapters after part one, it's like having a jump scare and then you're trying to calm yourself down. So you're reading this and you're like, oh, this is cool. This is fun. But after that adrenaline rush at the end of the first section, this is like nothing. (laughs) 
And the walk is pretty tame, relatively speaking. Of course, Violet is in close proximity to Cat, but she is specifically paired with one of Cat's friends, Marin. Because they pair him off into groups, but then they pair up a rider with a flyer, and luckily Violet is paired up with Cat's friend Marin, and not Cat herself, is why it was good. And Violet and Marin seem to come up with a pretty cool dynamic for the most part, even regardless of the Cat and Zayden thing that kind of separates them. And Marin keeps standing up for Violet, and I really appreciate that. So this is when you learn about the first dragon hatchlings being born in Artia. It isn't until the end when one of the traps that was set, they weren't able to turn off and they were struggling to get around it. Sloane makes it. One of the flyers, Luella, unfortunately falls during this time. Riddick gets shot by some arrows. It's a nightmare. And of course, Violet only saves a rider and isn't able to save that really sweet flyer, and that just adds more tension between Cat and Violet. More guilt for Violet. Surprise, surprise. That's the theme of this book. And then to add to the chaos we get some Morvins because they were tipped off by the power shift about the dragon hatchling, so they came to scope it out. Luckily, they were riderless, so it was a little bit easier to kill them. What Violet's able to do is fly Tarn to start distracting them, trying to pull them away from the trail so that everyone can try to make it up because this is like the last mile, probably less than at this point. What's cool is that she learns to wield her lightning in a different way, utilizing the clouds because clouds are a natural source for lightning. That's how she's able to kill the Warven. This little, you know, death walk doesn't really help that much with the flyer rider tension. Things are still going in waves, and Ardna's making progress with flying. Artia is accepting refugees, and they were able to relocate Rhiannon and her family, reaching out to the cadets' families first, because I'm sure that they have a target on their head for abandoning the school. But maybe not, based on what Mom and Sorengale said. Because, I don't know, I made the note that Sawyer's parents have not responded to the refugee status in Tyrandor, and that makes me really, really nervous. I don't know if they're already dead, if someone already came after them. It's a little stressful, because I feel like that might be something big. Yaros is really good with putting in those little nuggets. Sometimes they're really obvious and sometimes they aren't. And I feel like this could be something bigger because who wouldn't want that refugee status to be reunited with their child? And then I'll have to pull up my book for this. And I just recommend anyone look over it because it's a lot of information. What's really fascinating is that these kids are learning how to make runes. And we learn a lot more about the magic system. This is on page 439 of the U.S. hardback. They start learning how to wield them and Violet is piecing together all the runes on her knives and throughout the buildings. So, so, so fascinating. For example, the knives that Zayden made for her unlock when it's needed, and that's why they were able to get out of their one training exercise. We learned a little bit that those runes also help her deflect Kat's emotion reading ability too, which is pretty great. And this made me think of as the teacher was explaining like the concept of picking the magic and then wrapping it into a rune and then making it the correct shape to give it whatever element or magic you needed. Reminded me of the way that multiple times Violet has described seeing a sheen or a layer of something over Aunt Ardena's scales that I thought was really interesting and I wonder if that has something to do with it. It made me wonder if there's something to it because as I read them they seem to have the same visual to me. But lastly, Zayden talks about how Liam and Sloane's mother made runes for 
all 107 kids that protected them from the incoming battle. It was a one-time use thing. She notes it over Zayden's bed at Ryerson House. It's a protection rune, but it was only intended to be used once. As you get better with runes, you can pull elements into them. Things like strands of hair or even other full runes for locating things or protecting them. This particular rune was made to protect someone of my father's bloodline. It was designed to counter the signet of the rider whose dragon would kill them, but it could only activate when killed by dragon fire. And that's when Violet pieced together the rebellion relics. Our parents knew they died one way or another. And that last thing they did was to make sure we were protected. I keep it purely for sentimental reasons. Oh, and then he's like, I like it when you ask me questions. Cute. I think I was right about that too. I'm pretty sure I mentioned that there was a correlation with, oh, I believe I said that the dragons had something to do with it. And I guess they didn't, but they had to have known. The dragons know everything, right? All right, so maybe I was like only half right, but, or maybe that was just really obvious and I'm giving myself too much credit. And as the riders and flyers continue to not get along, the academy, what's left of it, this new aged academy decides that they need to be better about blending the two groups even farther than they have already. And flyers are about to be absorbed into the rider wings. No one's happy about it, but what they offer... (laughs) And it's so funny. They're like, all right, we're giving you guys two-day, get it out of your systems. We have sparring mats. We're going to have you guys duke it out because when you guys get assigned, come tomorrow, you may not be able to because, of course, you're not supposed to attack squad mate. And one of the chapter headers talked about how they decided to move forward with it, which is probably why Yaros also put in the different school breakdowns of the wings, sections, and squads. So all of the writers are going to keep their leadership positions, but all of the executive officers that were initially appointed by the leaders are now the fly. So there are two leaderships. The riders still have a little bit more power as they are the ones that absorb the flyers. They are hosting them, but it gives them a little bit more of an even balance. And I think it's fair. I mean, we're a little biased for the riders, right? But it sounds like the most cohesive as nearly equal as it can be. And of course, we're not surprised when Kat decides to challenge Violet. And right off the bat, Violet's like, oh, Zayn trained you too. So they're literally fighting the exact same person at this point. Kat is driving Violet literally crazy during their whole spar, egging her on, just being just the absolute worst. Why is she so hung up on him? I just, is she really that power hungry? Does she really think trying to kill her ex's new girlfriend is going to get him back? I don't mind that Violet needs that new enemy. I think Kat could be really cool. I just don't like the surface level you have my man. If there isn't a better reason for this hatred and this dynamic between the two of them, it's just going to be really woman-hating and misogynistic. And I mean, Violet calls cat out on it. Like, why are we fighting over a guy? So I'm hoping that there is a bigger picture endgame to this awful dynamic between the two of them. Because I'm almost at a point that it's not fun anymore because it's rooted around a guy. But this could be a really fun rivalry for her. So I don't know. I think this sparring match kind of turned me off because of just all the shit that Cat was slinging at Violet. I was like, ugh. 
like, get over it. And, of course, Violet gets so worked up from her power that, of course, she's not supposed to use in the sparring match. This fight's supposed to be magicless and weaponless. Luckily, Zayden was either watching the whole time, which is the impression I get, or he was listening in on it the whole time, just in proximity. He saves Violet from killing her, only because he knew that in the moment Violet wanted to kill her, and in the end, that that was not what Violet wanted. And Zayden would have been okay with Violet killing Kat. He's like, it would make things messy. He's like, I don't blame you. You need to get it out of your system. Do it. Again, this power shift between them is weird. She's got him wrapped around her finger and she's not abusing it, which is a good thing. But there's going to be more, I think, coming up. And then they have a cute little spicy moment. Happily ever after, we hope. He's like, you and I are endgame. And I wrote right after it. But will they be? Because mm, I'm not sure. Because of course, what are they doing? They're kind of scooching Dane back in. And look, I am going to say an unpopular opinion. I am here for a Dane redemption arc. I'm not mad about it. There are so many other shitty characters out there that people are gunning for redemption arc for. Dane is just a product of his environment. You know, Violet acknowledges that they are literally brainwashed to just be the weapons and tools of leadership. And he snapped out of it. He willingly went into enemy territory knowing who he was, who he betrayed, how they got here, knowing those risks and doing it anyway because it was the right thing. And that needs to be accounted for when it comes to Dane. My only concern is I hope to God this doesn't turn into a love triangle. I hope it doesn't. I have no other opinion than I hope it doesn't. We will see. But I do like that Violet and Dane are on speaking terms at least. They're acknowledging their boundaries. Dane acknowledges how badly he fucked up. And I think that's really admirable. Of course, Kat is in Violet's squad once they do their reorganizing, and all around this time, too, they realize that another Peromial city, one of the bigger ones, and of course closer to Tyrandor, has been taken over. Things aren't looking great, but yeah, this section is just so tame compared to how part three shook out, which I'm here for but I think we're gonna have a lot of shit hit the fan in these last, I think I have about 130-ish pages left, so I'm hoping that'll be all of uh, part five. And yeah, I think that's it for now. It's definitely the calm before the storm. If this book is anything like the way Iron Flame hit in that third act, this one is going to destroy us. I don't know if I'm ready. I will keep an eye out for any other parallels I see, any theories that pop up, but I think my biggest one right now is Zayden's fate when it comes to Sigail. It's not looking good in my opinion. I hope I'm wrong. All right, I'll come back later. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right, y'all. I just finished it and holy crap, my head is spinning. That was quite a doozy. If I didn't have to work tomorrow, I would have waited to do this recording tomorrow, but that's just not gonna happen. So this section, the final recording, is going to be for chapters 51 through the end. And man, those last 60 pages were something else. We left off in chapter 51 with Violet reworking the translation and looking for mistranslations that could have happened throughout the text, and she's working pretty closely with Dane on this. The first major mistranslation she caught is the phrase Iron Rain was actually supposed to be Iron Flame, which was a fun little tie into the title. And then she started piecing together that they needed to use the dragon fire to power up the wards, one that represents each of the different colors slash breeds. 
In doing so, she realizes that putting the wards up will cut off the flyers from their magic, which is a risk. You don't want to alienate them. They're already alienated from everyone in Tyrandor, and, I mean, they need that support, especially because the Griffins are still struggling to adjust. Anyway, so they haven't committed to putting the wards up yet, and Violet gets roped into a side mission. Of course, she's partnered with Kat again. I do have bones to pick about it because I feel like Kat just, like, chills out after this whole scene with no real rhyme or reason. I wish that was a little bit better executed. I don't mind the rivalry of it all, but it was very heavy-handed for it to like turn off like a light switch like it does at the end of this book. So they're looking for, I believe, Taren feels an energy in like one of the old cave systems around Tyrandor. So they go digging into it to see what they find. While they're walking through this cave system, she brings Aunt Ardna because she's small enough to fit through it while Taren keeps an eye on everything from the outside. And Violet talking with, I think it's Vizia in this section. Oh, so it's a conversation between Violet, Vizia, and Sloan, where Sloan answers seemingly incorrectly to the conversation at hand. Says, second signets only happen when your dragon bonds a rider in the direct familial line as its previous, but there is an equal chance of it causing madness from what her dragon told her, and the reason why Quinn's dragon didn't receive any punishment was because her dragon was not direct, but within the family. And it's really interesting because Yaros has told us now two, three times before this that Zayden would most likely have a double signet. Not even a double signet. We just pieced together that he would go crazy based on that. Not that there was a 50-50 gamble on how the bond would shake out. Honestly, at this point, until I heard it from Zayden, I wasn't going to be convinced whether he was crazy or not, but he does confirm that he has a second signet and it blew my mind. So they get to the box that they were looking for, they went on their mission for, there was an orb in it, but lo and behold, it's so funny, once someone dies, no one is actually dead because there's always a pissed off dragon in the corner. So I shouldn't have been surprised when Varish's dragon, Solus, of course, had to go after Violet and corners them in this cave. By this point, Vizia's dead, regardless of how many times Violet saved her. And thank God for them having Aunt Ardna because she is able to protect protect them from the fire that Solus points at them, even though Anarna doesn't have the ability to flamethrow yet. As they escape, Sloane realizes that she's a siphon, so she can pull other people's energies, which is the whole final plot point in this whole book, which just... I'm still shook. And luckily, Violet is able to use one of her conduit tokens, wedges it into Solus's soft spots where his scales don't protect him, and she's able to channel her lightning directly into him, and that's how they get away. But Anardna is the one that finishes him off, which was pretty badass. And then we have a lot more relationship drama with Zayden and Violet. She finally grows up here and decides to ask Zayden about the agreement between him and her mother, with him always being like, you need to ask the questions instead of just being forthright with information, and that is getting really old. It's like they actively know what the problem is and they're not doing anything about it. They just keep talking in circles, which... The good thing about this ending, (laughs) they'll have a lot more issues to unpack in future books. So this will be the end of this fluffy little 
you lied to me last year and you lied to me again about your double signet. But there is a great reason why he didn't tell her is he is essentially an offshoot of an intrinsic. You know, that guy whose head got snapped the minute he started hearing voices. So his ability isn't mind reading per se. He can perceive people's intentions, which I think is really interesting. And it's not foolproof. If someone has their shields up, he can't read them. So it makes him lean a little bit closer to Dane and the fact that it's a little bit more controllable than that poor kid who was killed in the first book. But naturally she's upset but simultaneously understands that he couldn't say anything for his own safety and he actively worked to not use his powers on Violet the way that Dane did without her consent but they're just so intertwined that he's like I did the best I could but you have to realize that it's nearly impossible between the bond and our relationship you know looking back at these notes it's very interesting some of the comments I make about Anne Ardna now knowing that she is a seventh breed of dragon that we are not aware of yet like the fact that the elders let her get away with killing solace while it 100 is justified solace was clearly deranged just like varish and had way too much power and control i wonder if anyone else had done it they would have gotten off the way that she did but i love knowing that there's a code amongst the dragons about battling each other it's no wonder taryn left solace alive for so long and that actually does bother me. Now that Solus is dead, we're not going to get a backstory on why Taryn took his eye out. I mean, I hope we do, but if the character's dead, why would the author go back and give us that information? So that's a little disappointing. And also around this time is when Violet's able to fully confirm with Zayden how to get the wards up, and it works. And they watch some Warvens swarming, and they crossed over, and they drop like flies. While they all initially celebrate the fact that the Warven are falling, that they're protected, Flyers are like, hey, we still got our magic, so something's off. <laughs> Which, yeah, just added to the pile of things that they have to deal with, right? So the rebels get called in by Melgrin and the Navari team to meet in Athvine because Melgrin foresees them getting slaughtered in Samara on Solstice and is asking for the support of the rebels. The rebels immediately reject on site, don't even think about it, and they continue to reject when they leave the site. But of course, Brennan reveals himself because of course he couldn't help himself. So Mama Sorengale sees all three of her children on the opposite side of things, which just has to be so bizarre to her. Was everything she did really in self-preservation for her children? I guess that doesn't make self-preservation, but I guess it is because I mean, it's a selfish act. Yeah, it's crazy. I guess what a parent will do for a child. I don't have kids. I have a dog. I know what I do for my dog. But yeah, everything we've seen Mama Sorengale do these two books is just really fascinating to me now. And how her arc ended, especially with the chapter header that made a comment that she would go down protecting her children. And oh, it's exactly what she did. And on that note, as they're leaving, Mama Sorengale hands over the second journal to Violet and is like, your new words aren't going to last. But here's the other one. And is like very heavily hinting at her that she needs to figure out how. So Violet and Mira, just for, you know, shits and giggles, decide to check the borders again to see. And sure enough, it just knocked them out and they had to slaughter them while they were out. But at least they have the appearance of protection for now. I think that's going to be more helpful than not. And then Violet and Zayden kind of work through their stuff. 
Violet feels a little bit better about their relationship. They are kind of in limbo of the assembly not wanting to help the Navari government while Solstice is creeping up on them. Violet's like, this doesn't feel right. And while they're in their Battle Briefs 2.0, Violet starts to piece together that Melgrin was trying to lure the rebels in to help at Samara on false pretenses. There was a connection about the wards not failing, that seeing the way that the warven were lining up at some of the outposts, like they were waiting for a gate to open, not to attack a city. And looking further at it, Violet's like, well, Melgrin wouldn't see us coming because of the rebel relics. So obvious in hindsight. So she immediately leaves the class, talks to Zayden, is like, hey, I know that Melgrin said Samara, but I have a feeling it's a decoy and Melgrin can't see what's actually going to happen and they're going for the veil where all the dragons are. The assembly votes against it again, but they hobble together a group of second, third years and actual graduated riders to fly over to Basgaith. So clearly it's not the most welcoming of a greeting when they get back to the school. Mama Sorngale's a little hesitant. There really aren't a ton of people there. They're all at the border, like Melgrin had predicted. Violet's like, can you just show us the wardstone? We're nervous about it. We're afraid it's gonna go down. And Mama Sorngale's like, it's fine. I promise you. They get down to the level and the room where it's at. And wouldn't you know it, Jack fucking Barlow's there. And it's already compromised. And guess what further? He is a venom. What? That's quite literally what I wrote. And Violet pieces it together from when they had their duel on the mat was when he first changed. You know what? I just pulled it up and it was right there. He's literally a venom, and we just did not know enough about it. Oh my gosh. Page 294-295 of Fourth Wing, U.S. Hardback Edition. I scream as I'm shaken by an internal force I don't understand, as though he's forcing his own power into my body, shocking me with thousand strings of vibrating energy. Now, if I don't do it now, he will kill me. My vision is already darkening at the edges. I reach a trembling hand into the pocket of my leathers and thumb open the stopper on the vial. His sadistic grin and red rim around his eyes are all I can see as he forces more and more power into my body, but his hands are occupied and he's too obsessed with his victory to hear that I've stopped screaming. Oh my god. Huh. Fascinating. I can't believe it. So they disarm him the best that they can, and they come up with an aerial battle plan to protect specific points throughout the school in the veil. Violet's all for protecting the stones. Mom's like, lol, nice try, we're protecting the veil. And it isn't until Brennan decides to show up with the griffins and first years, because none of them came, because the first years were not allowed to come, and the griffins kind of similar to what was happening in Tyrandor, they wouldn't have had power. So they all stayed behind, but what Jack Barlow was doing that was luring the venom was placing those lore spots, I believe it was those boxes, and the griffins and the flyers were tasked with finding those because there were runes associated with it, and it seems like the flyers tend to gravitate towards runes a little bit better than the riders do. So luckily they have a little bit of extra hands on deck for the groundwork and for the riders to get organized. 
And with Brennan's arrival, he opts to work on the Wardstone like Violet had suggested days before that mom didn't listen. And he decides to try to merge them together while the first line of Werven and Venon cross over. It was really cool. Violet got her first crack at everybody with her lightning. She got so many of them. At least 15, I think she took out on her own. I mean, it's pretty intense. She's having PTSD thinking of resin and losing Liam. Man, I don't know why I didn't think this could happen, but she totally gets stuck in her saddle when Taryn's like, fine, that's where you need to be. I don't know why you're trying to get out. But it gets to a point that Rhiannon jumps on top of Taryn when a Werven comes and attacks Violet and Taryn. Dude, so going into this, I had made a little TikTok thinking through who I thought was or wasn't going to make it in this section. And let me tell you, I was pretty spot on. Because I had said, if we were going to lose someone from the squad, I was wrong. No one from the squad died, luckily. But I narrowed it down to Sawyer was going to be the most likely because Riddick already had his close call. Rhiannon wasn't not an option, but I couldn't imagine Violet losing her best friend that soon after Liam. So I was feeling okay enough that it wouldn't be her yet. There's always the option. And I was like, man, I was like, that leaves us with Sawyer. But then we lose Sawyer and Jacinia. Well, Sawyer doesn't die, but he loses a leg. A Worven just bit off from the knee down. Ugh. But he makes it, and I'm very happy for him. The other thing I called is one of the Storingales, specifically one of the siblings, wasn't going to make it past the end of this book. I'm not convinced at how Violet and Zayden are going to survive. I mean, I figured that Zayden and Violet wouldn't make it out of this section completely unscathed, but I knew that they wouldn't be killed off in book two of five. Could be one of the siblings. And then I thought, I was like, wait, it's like we could really mess with their sibling dynamic and kill the mom. I was right. Uh, yeah, I wasn't expecting that, even though I guessed it. I guess I just wasn't expecting her to go that way, I think is what it is. Not that I, I mean, I obviously guessed that she wouldn't make it at the end of this book. I guess the way that she died, I hadn't considered. So then after saving Sawyer, she's on the ground and more Venon are starting to cross over. The first wave was primarily riderless Worven and Venon come on next. And she is having PTSD from her reoccurring dream that she's having of the sage that's like, oh, we can't wait to bring you back. We're going to love you. You are so powerful. Like all that weird, creepy shit. She's like, am I foreseeing this? Huh. I wonder if that's her signet with Aunt Ardna because it still relates to time. Huh. We'll have to come back to that. So anyway, so now she's having this dream play out in real life. The Venons got her floating and Aunt Ardna saves her by blending in with some of the rocks. She can also now breathe fire. This is around the time when the first wave kind of falls back and Jacinia finds Violet and is like, hey, the second journal is different. It says that there needs to be seven dragons, not six. And Violet's like, wait, I don't understand. There's only six types. And Ardna's the seventh. Because I had made a comment about her scales, and I should have focused on it more because she had mentioned it so many times in the book. Yeah, I was really nervous going into this with Aunt Ardna, but now it all seems to make sense about how different she is. And why she felt an immediate connection to Violet before Violet even entered the school, which is so fascinating. It makes me wonder if the issue with Aunt Ardna's wings is actually from her slumber or if it's just because she is the first of her kind in generations. That's why she slept longer. Maybe it's not going to actually be a long-term problem for her. I'm trying to be very optimistic about it. 
So realizing that the second journal is actually the correct one and piecing together what who Ann Ardna is, she tries one more time to convince her mother to try to get the wards back up. Because at this point, Brennan has put it back together. He is exhausted. And she runs it past Zayden. She's like, hey, we can only do this once. Are we protecting Tyrandor? Are we going to protect Bezgaeth? And they opt to protect the school. But the problem is, is all that time that they had spent imbuing the stone in Tyrandor, they have a fraction, like a split second at a time, to imbue this stone. Zayden opts to fight the general Venon out in the courtyard while Violet saves the day. And our girl is willing to kill herself to save everyone else. She's on the verge of burnout. She already kind of was even before this. Violet's mother pushes her away once she pieces together that Sloane is a siphon. And that's when Mama Sorengale makes the choice to sacrifice herself to finish imbuing the stone to save all three of her children. Mira comes in at the end. Mrs. is saying goodbye to her mother. And what's crazy is that Sloane was resisting. I was misunderstanding what Mama Sorengale was trying to do with Sloane because I thought Mama Sorengale was trying to sacrifice Sloane to the stone. That's the impression I got from Sloane's comments that she didn't want to do it. But now that I think about it, I think I just misunderstood that passage because there was just so much else going on because that's also when Violet realizes Zayden was dying. I realized that Mama Sorengale was trying to get Sloane pissed at her so that Sloane was willing to siphon her power, taunting her like, I killed your mother in front of you. You know who I am. You want me dead. Do this. But you know what? Sloane being cut from the same cloth as Liam, wasn't going to do it until she learned from Violet that Zayden was dying. And Mama Sorengale says that there wasn't anything she wouldn't do for her children, and it was the last sacrifice. Their mother's death is going to drive such a wedge between the three of them. So many varying degrees of guilt between them. They all had such a complicated relationship with her, and they probably all blamed themselves, but it was her choice at the end. And then, we think we've made it out. The squad's intact, the siblings are intact, Zayden, Sigail, Taryn, and Ardna all make it, but Zayden is now a Venon. He's a Venon. I am going to have to reread the last chapter from his POV because I can't wrap my head around what they're doing to the writers. I feel like there was a segment that now is feeling more significant that talked about how much more powerful it is to target the rider and to imbue them with that venom power. I'm very curious because the whole showdown between that general and Zayden, I can't wrap my head around how he turned him. So how long are Violet and Zayden going to keep this secret? How long is he going to be able to resist? I mean, they're at such a low point, and he is one of the strongest besides Violet. Gosh, I really don't know what's going to happen. So I'm pretty emotionally devastated, (laughs) if you can't tell. I'll maybe have to come back on tomorrow and talk through a couple more of my theories once I can kind of gather my head on where this is all going. Because this is completely new territory with the Venon and Worven. Yeah, I'll have to come back and collect my thoughts on everything that I think is happening and do a final list of my theories. But I wanted to hop on while it was still fresh. I'll do one more quick check-in just to round out what I think my theories are going into the next book because my head's still spinning. I just hope Zayden makes it. That's really all I care about. I'll see you all on the other side.
All right, this is going to be my last check-in. I wanted to take a second to consolidate all of my theories and where I think the story is going. So this is going to be high level. I'm sure I'll have more thoughts the longer I get to sit on it. I said in the beginning that based on the language around the recovered correspondence between Lieutenant Ryerson and Cadet Soringale, I'm still a little suspicious of who and how they're going to make it out, especially after seeing that ending with Zayden being a venom. And with that, me leaning towards maybe it's Zayden that doesn't make it. I don't think the Zayden going crazy for bonding to a dragon within his familial line is off the table because he is not fully human at this point. If he's going to be that greedy and that power hungry as a venom, it may drive him even crazier being bonded to Sigil. So I think that may come into play eventually. A couple of new things I wanted to talk about. I made a small TikTok for the last like 70-ish pages from chapter 59 onwards trying to guess who I thought was going to make it and who wouldn't. And I made a comment in that video saying, if it isn't one of the siblings that dies in this book, it's totally going to be Mama Sorengale and it's going to horrifically impact the three of theirs relationship and I was right. And I stand by that the three of them are going to be lost in their own grief and we're going to see the Sorengale siblings completely altered as a unit and as a person from this book onwards. I'm still wrapping my head around Anardna. I love this twist. It makes Violet and Anardna's connection so much more powerful to me and furthers the parallels that we're starting to see of Anardna's trajectory and where Violet is going. And I think it's just so lovely. I think it's really sweet that she was trying to emanate Tarn. I think Sigil is technically in the blue dragon clan, but you can tell how much she loves and cares about them, that she wants to be like them, and it's really precious. I tried not to get on too many TikToks or subreddits to see what other people were predicting for Anardna. One that I saw at a high level that I was leaning towards as well is the misdirection of the six or seven dragon groups. I could see it being connected to the rise in power of the Venon. That either they, as a dragon group, were the only ones able to stop the Venon in a way that the other six couldn't, and that's why they were killed off. I think the theory I saw specifically online somewhere was that she may be the cure for Venon, which could eventually save Zayden, which I think is what will happen for Zayden at the end of the day. I'm not going to do a whole episode on just Anardna as much as I would love to. I'll probably just put a couple TikToks as my theories evolve. Violet having a second signet. I see it instead of time stopping, which is what it used to be with Anardna, that it's a different projection of time and maybe she can see the future. Then her nightmare with the Ven in general came true. Feels like that could track. I did see some comments online that maybe it's Zayden projecting his nightmares. I'm not as convinced on that because it's inevitable that Violet's going to have a signet with Anardna and I think it's still going to be in the realm of time and space. And then my little probably going to be unpopular opinion is I am glad for Dane's redemption arc and I'm really looking forward to it. He caught his mistakes, he is learning from them, and he's choosing correctly moving forward being informed. You can't ask for more than that. My only thing is I hope, hope, hope that this does not turn back into a full-on love triangle that kind of was but not really in the first book. Also think that the final nail in his redemption arc coffin is going to be him dying at one point which I don't want to happen. Last but not least, 
I think that Sloan being a siphon is going to be very, very important. Seeing as her ability is essentially a venom, I wonder if that's going to come into play in her dynamic with Zayden in trying to defeat the venom. I think there's going to be a connection to it. Maybe even help keep Zayden in check in some way, shape, or form. But now that I've been able to sit on my thoughts and opinions on this book for a day, I think overall story and structurally, Iron Flame is better than Fourth Wing, but I did not get half a point on my Goodreads review because I was not crazy with some of the character development happening in this book. I think it was a little rushed, sometimes not thought through. I think Zayden and Violet's relationship backpedaled, but not in a way that made sense in the story. I think the Cat-Violet showdown in part two was a bit much and was really only there to try to fill the Jack Barlow Varish void and it just it was a bit much we could have made her a much more fleshed out character having an issue with Violet because of her mother along with Zayden I think that would have rounded her out a little bit more but I'm going to be hopeful that some of my issues with these character choices was to help set up for the rest of the series because Yaros definitely has a plan and I'm really excited to see where it goes because I was not expecting most of this book. I also just hope that it wasn't her rushing the writing to get this out in time because of how much this series exploded this past year. But like I said, I'm not going to stress about it until I see the next book. This could have just been a one-off. I think this series still has a lot going for it and I'm so excited to see where it goes. Well, all right, I think that's it for my Iron Flame talk and I'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You can follow me on TikTok and Instagram at samantha.mave and our podcast Instagram confession stand at confessionstand underscore podcast for episode updates, book and movie recs, and more. See you next time.